I believe I am off mute. There you go. What's going on, man? Okay, I believe I'm off mute. Yeah. Do you hear I got me? You. Yeah, you have me. All right, excellent. Yes. Beautiful. Hi, I'm Dan Devine, everybody. Nice to meet you. <laughs> A Yahoo senior MBA writer. That's true. It sounds good. Let's hear that again, Jake. Yahoo senior MBA writer Dan Devine is in the building. <laughs> I am. I am. Thank you for having me on. And, and uh, well, I'm, I'm excited that we're going to be working together for, from here on out. This is a, a, a lot of new things, but all good things. I'm pretty stoked about it. For sure. I mean, we honestly, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like we don't really know each other, but I also kind of feel like I know you. I, I think that a lot of people have that because I'm maybe too free and forthcoming about my personal life. So it might be that a lot of people uh, don't know me, but maybe they know more about me than they, they want to. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, it's a small world uh, of, of the folks that have been doing this stuff for a little while. And like, we ha we've never been in the same place for that long, but know a lot of the same people and have kind of glanced off one another. So excited to, to get to do this. There you go, man. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We don't really have much plan. We're just going to kind of shoot the shit and talk hoops. We'll take some callers. We already got Carson in the queue. We'll get to you soon, Carson. Um, first thing I wanted to get started on, because I, I tweeted this out um, with Dan's announcement. I said this to Dan privately multiple times. I'm going to say it one more time for public record, and I'm going to drop this compliment once and for all. Um, I was researching for my book, uh, <clears throat> Built to Lose, How the Inmates Take Gear Change League Forever, available on paperback October 11th. Um, I, it, it required a lot of Googling to try to put yourself in a time machine. Like, let's say when the Lakers offer Kobe Bryant a $48 million deal over two years in 2012 or whatever year it was, like when you would jump in that Google time machine and try to put yourself exactly in the narrative discussion, the debate, the discourse that was happening right at that point in time. Like right now, a, a modern day example, you know, from this off season, how there was a huge divide of the Knicks fan base of whether or not Don putting in that hall for Donovan Mitchell would have been worth it or not, right? So you go back in time and Google anything about the NBA from whatever the time period was. Dan can tell me more specific, but late two thousands into the into the tens, Dan Devine had you right at the table, understanding which parties had seats at the table, which each party had ordered, what they were trying to bring to the table, what they were trying to accomplish. It was a very, very valuable resource. And I'm excited to pick your brain through that perspective on where the league's at today and to do it privately throughout our years together at the Purple Y Company to help me even learn behind the scenes and, and figure out what angles I'm trying to, to explore. Well, that's very, very kind of you. It's uh, the, the longer that you, <laughs> a lot of that is a way of saying that I write too many words and that I've been doing this for, for longer than I care to admit. So, but that's a, these are good things. This is a good thing. Um, and yeah, yeah like, listen, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's figuring out the, the, the players and the names change, but a lot of the, the, the patterns kind of stay the same and the way that teams and, and executives operate and the way that people talk about it kind of, that those things are cyclical. And so like knowing, knowing where you've been can help you figure out where things are going. And I think that 
uh, especially like the off season where there's been a ton of a ton of movement and a ton of shifting and a league that's kind of resetting in real time. Like uh, having that background is kind of important. Uh, so I'm excited to to bring that back to Yahoo and for us to kind of try to build something going forward with a, a great team over there uh, as we get through our own free agency period here. Yeah, let's go. Well, something you said there is a good place to start. So. I started covering the league in a part-time capacity in 2013. Um, the draft was the first real time I was credentialed and making calls and finding out stuff. Um, and it seems like to me, from my experience and, and my seat at the table, the biggest change in how the game has been played and how um, the, the, the machine spins is that there's, and I've talked about this concept on the show in, in past iterations, but we'll directly name it here as this. To me, there's become just as much of a competition and a, um, a, a public um, evaluation of the competition amongst executives in the team building arena as there is amongst the players and the coaches on the hardwood. Um, what's been, uh, that, that I mean, I, I've just felt it so viscerally, maybe it's, largely due to the fact that I'm talking to these people on the front office side of things and I understand the competitiveness that they have with each other. Um, I and mean, I was even just talking to an agent right now before we got on the phone and I was saying something to the effect of how I'm happy that um, his client got onto a training camp roster and the guy is kind of hard. I mean, a lot of people in that situation will immediately then start to look at other people who are fighting for that spot as, and that player and that agent as enemies. Like, it's just a competitive business, right? It is dog-eat-dog. Dog. Sure. Um, and I've personally found the competitive nature of the front office aspect to sometimes even supersede what's happening on the court, which is something that maybe is a bigger concept that the league is uh, grappling with, right? Um, what say you about this hypothesis? I think part of it is, like, as the as front offices, you know, expand and, like, the pool of people that – like you said, there used to be sort of a, like you had to be a lifer that, you know, came up in the game to kind of, you know, elbow your way into that. And then like the analytics movement and kind of the advanced the advance in like things with like machine learning and the different statistical analysis and different things like that kind of opened the door to a lot of different people. And then like once the doors are open and everyone's looking for that edge everything gets like a little bit more cutthroat and a little bit more like not it's not that like everybody wasn't trying to find the best way to compete before but there's just like more people and more ways of doing it now and i think that that kind of results in you know so there's like the copycat iterations of like all right well they have this this many people in their front office we got to expand we got to get the investment from our owner to do that we got to do like the copycat stuff of our new build oh they've got a new training facility shoot we got to put you know, you know, X amount of millions of dollars to buy, you know, land over here, right near here to do that. We need to have every sort of bell and whistle about it. And it's like everything becomes, what are you competing in next? What's the other arena that you can win in? Because it's like, there's only going to be one team winning the championship every year. And you like, you can just like throw money after money and person after personnel and like a pursuit of every one of those edges. And I think it does make it like, you know, because there's that zero sum thing of only one team's going to get it. There's only so many roster spots. There's only so many opportunities. Like, and there's the the expanding talent pool from a player perspective also extends to like there's more you know more agents trying to get uh, get a bite at the apple there's more you know people trying to get in where they fit in in terms of front offices and and opportunities like that so it's just like you the, the when the doors get open people flood and i think that leads to a lot of sharpened elbows but um <laughs> i don't know if that's, if that's necessarily a 
I mean, it's not really good, bad, or different. Just kind of, it's the nature of of the industry and a lot of industries. But with basketball, there's such a clear like somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose, and people are going to be willing to you know cut, scratch, and bleed for that inch. Yeah, and a lot of that I think is under the undercurrent of that is is the player aspect of this. Where I mean, clearly the player movement is at an all time high, and. I mean, honestly, I don't know that's clearly. I, I, will, I will check myself in real time. If I looked at the data, maybe that trade requests and stars moving teams is, is, is the same, as happening at the same rate that it always has. Maybe that's an article idea. Um, it certainly feels like it, at least anecdotally. And it seems like more and more players, at least from my conversations with people on the league, from players to people around them, to their agents, to team people, like players are talking about their careers like they are like artists in a sense um, more than ever about, Oh, I want to do this. And I want to accomplish this. I want to have this period where I'm an expressionist, this period where I'm a modernist, not actually, but like, you know, I want to take us, take an opportunity now to be a number two. And then I want to be a number one, or I want to go to this city for weather. I want to go to this city for winning. Like everyone's kind of trying to take more control over their personal arc in this overall soap opera um, that is the NBA. Uh, and I think a lot of that is also happening at the same time where these executives, such as Daryl Murray, who I think is probably the most apt, uh, not descriptor, but um, most apt, uh, whatever, you know what I'm saying? The person who this would most describe in terms of lead executives who are doing everything they can to stockpile these guys to try to maximize your chance at winning and in theory it has created a pretty open scenario where like you're you're i mean a lot of teams are just trying to go get it now because there's a, there's a an ecosystem where with the cleveland cavaliers you never know you're one off season away from making the biggest or second biggest or you're, you know you're one off season away from making the drew holiday bucks trade that pushes you into uh, that championship realm, and it's it's presented a pretty interesting state of the NBA where I really can't imagine we're going to see a window where we've got LeBron making eight straight conference finals or the Warriors winning six out of eight for uh, a long time, or winning the Western Conference for six out of eight years. I, I feel like we're kind of at, I mean, maybe I'll be wrong, but I feel like we're step, stepping into an era where it's just going to be wide open for a long time. There's so much talent across so many different teams. Dan, are you there? I think I've lost Dan momentarily. No, no, I'm here. I'm here. You got me? Yeah, you're back. Okay, yeah. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened. Everybody, I'm very sorry. I'm an old dad, and I'm learning this stuff in real time, so I apologize. We're going to get to that um, stuff, because I, I do have a big, a big picture personal life question, being that you already announced that you're so willing to talk about yourself. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in closing. <laughs> But what I will say about the, the that idea of like increased parity, the, the league being sort of more wide open than ever, it's, I, I mean, Adam Silver, I think that that's sort of the goal, right? The goal of all these things like the midseason tournament or, you know, the play-in tournament, there's all these ways that the, you know, the, the league is trying to ensure that fan bases stay in, stay engaged. There's, there's something more to be interested in where you're not just like, oh, well, my team sucks and, you know, they're, 
five and you know 31 and or whatever they're not like they have no chance at a title realistically even if they play well for the first month i know where this is ending so i'm not gonna invest my time and energy into it because there's only one thing to play for and so on and so forth and like i don't know every cba uh you know restriction or innovation or whatever however you want to frame it that they put into place kind of has these unintended consequences but where we have arrived at now is like I, I, I don't know, I'd say probably two thirds of the league probably to harboring belief, like you know, we think we can at least get in and maybe make a run, and I think that's I, I, you know the, the path to arriving at that has included a lot of bumps and bruises and some public relations issues that I think the league probably isn't particularly happy about or uh, didn't like at the time in terms of players sitting out and players trying to you know manufacture their own sort of. Uh, uh, exit strategies or plans to, to team up or whatever, but there's, there's just so many, there's, every team has something to get excited about. And a lot of teams believe that they've got a real chance. And I think that that's a, you know, a net good and something to get kind of pumped up about as we head into the season. Are you pro against don't really care? What, what is your take on uh, the mid-season tournament idea? Cause I, I, I do, there are some basketball traditionalists, in my life, in the NBA that I'm familiar with, who are very anti. This is an outrage, putting in, like, let alone the tournament, adding adding in the Elam ending would be a disaster for the sanctity of this, blah, blah, blah. I, I really, I'm curious to see it. What, what is your take? I, I probably am closer to that than I am to, like, you know, burn all the traditions and, like, let's build everything, in, you know, anew in the ashes. Like, I... I kind of, my thing is I'm more like, you got to give me a reason to care about it. And I know that some of the proposals that have been floated about, like, what's the carrot at the end? I mean, for players, if it's, you know, additional money, that's, that's great. I'm sure that that will be motivating as, as more money is motivating for everybody. But like, I don't know, like the, the, I, I mean, I'm sure that the league's perspective would be like, if you say to me that the reason that some of those you know, uh, European soccer tournaments, like the in-season tournaments or the, the lower tier, you know, uh, competitions also matter, even if they're not the Champions League. It's like, well, yeah, because they've been having them for, you know, decades and decades and generations and there's a long storied history. It's like, well, yeah, you don't start a tradition or a history without starting it. And like, eventually it becomes something. So we got to start and invest in it and then it will become something that matters. I kind of feel like if you're just telling me that, Th these nine games uh, from like November to January are going to determine nothing. <laughs> you know, like, and again, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure why I should have particular extra investment in them, but um, you know, I also, I was skeptical of the, of the playing tournament and it's resulted in like significantly better basketball in March and April and some cool single elimination games that like have you know increased given you something else to get you know get into and sort of latch on to late in the season so like as, as an on-ramp to the to the playoffs so i'm cautiously you know i'm willing to see i kind of don't feel like it's going to get me particularly pumped up but um I, i've been wrong about these sorts of things before so i'm going to try to keep an open mind about it
All right. Either either Jake is gone or I just had a stroke. I'm not sure exactly what's happening. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was, uh, I was on mute. Sorry, I was on mute. That was my bad. I had a, I had a cough. No, it's okay. Um, but my, my what I was saying was, and no one heard me was what I, what I think I've correctly deduced is that the, the struggles rolling out the play-in tournament and getting people on board was that it was a weird format. Like we didn't really understand. It wasn't as simple as like the March Madness bracket where you just go down the go down sixty-four to two, right? Like the seven played eight and whatever, whatever. Like once we saw it on the court and we all had it, I think people realized, oh, single elimination is kind of sweet. Um, but like whatever the mid-season tournament formula actually becomes, whether it's like pool play with the divisions or whatever, they're going to have to make it feel almost video game-esque where this is just my thoughts on it, where like the most casual observer can, can understand the format and be like, that sounds like a TV show I would watch. That's kind of my unsolicited advice to the NBA. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. Like once it can be digestible, if you can explain it in a sentence, there's like a good elevator pitch for why you should care. Then, uh, you know, that's that can be a really it can it, it can give another another sort of TV show to package and sell. But past that, like until we get there, uh, it just it feels like we're adding more we're adding more games or we're adding more like bells and whistles to something that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to improve the quality of the play. Like I, if you're asking me like which side of that kind of debate do I tend to, to, to lie with? I'm like, I'm, I'd rather knock off five or 10 games so that you have a better spaced out schedule. You've got more time for guys to rest. You maybe have more opportunities for, uh, you know, for to, to see teams and players at full strength. Um, and you don't have as many of those concerns about like teams resting guys uh, which the league hates, but is, you know, just a fact of life uh, when you're talking about 82 games over the course of that six month span, like that's just going to happen. So that's, I would probably look, be on the side of like less might be more, but uh, I don't think that uh, a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation is ever going to think that less is more. I think they're going to think that more is more. And judging by the, uh, you know, like continual rise in franchise valuations and the uh, expected rise of the media deal and all that kind of stuff. They seem to be more right than me. So what the hell do I know, Jake? Um, you know a lot, which is why you are a senior NBA writer at Yahoo Sports. But no, time for the people in the back. Okay. Uh, we've had some callers come in and pop out. So we're going to – and people are going to answer. They want to talk to us. So we're going to go to the caller. John, what's going on? How's it going? I'm not hey sure. Josh, what's going on? Very much. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what your podcast is about today, but I just I was just curious if you heard anything about the Lakers potentially <laughs> talking to new teams recently. That's all I got. I just I, I after the last two calls, I just wanted to be somebody that you actually can rely on asking you a question. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it, man. Josh, no, thank I you think... very much for that. Yeah, no, we have no real agenda today. Today's agenda is just to bounce around and see how the conversation goes. And we've hit some, I, th I think we've had some interesting discourse so far. Um, with the Lakers, I mean, look, Russell Westbrook's situation is going to kind of be lingering over that team until it's not. That's just going to be what it is. And I think um, I'm really curious to see how the whole log jam of Westbrook and Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn hopefully coming back, and Dennis Schroeder coming into the fold. Like, there's just kind of a log jam at point guard, especially when LeBron's going to have the ball in his hand a lot, right? 
So, and now we got some people loading up in the call queue. Um, I am wondering how, I mean, if you talk to anyone with the Lakers organization, anyone around the Lakers organization, the company line has been pretty consistent in that they are not willing to move two first-round picks unless it is for someone or someones who dramatically change their status from being a whatever they are team right now to a bona fide contender. And I just don't see that happening when you're also offloading Russell Westbrook's contract. So they're going to – that's going to be like – an unstoppable, an unstoppable force and an unmovable object kind of clashing until it doesn't, where we're going to just see how long of an appetite the Lakers and everyone involved. I mean, the fact that Russell Westbrook handled that Bill Plaschke question, I believe it was uh, Plaschke who asked it at media day about, you know, how do you respond to the Lakers not wanting here, basically? I think that's just going to be the tone of this year until it's not. I mean, Dan, are, are, is this going to be a soap opera that you're paying attention to, or do you have any hopes that this can be some type of competitive unit this year? I think that was two things. I think one, like Rob Palinka at, you know, at the media day or his, his recent comments, like made a pretty, like said pretty blankly or bluntly, like, let me be abundantly clear. We've got LeBron James. He committed to us to on a long-term contract with that extension this summer. And like, we're going to do everything we can, picks included, to make deals to give us a chance. But if you're, I think you're, I mean, you're right. Like every, everybody is talking about like, that's not gonna, they're only going to put all of that in the middle if they're going to get like a major difference maker. Like I think it was Dave McMenamin at ESPN and said, if you get back, like that would have been like, if you could get Donovan Mitchell, right? Or if you could get a player on that, on that order, maybe, you know, maybe DeRozan is that kind of player. Uh, you know, if things sort of fall apart in Chicago down the line, but like you're looking at like all-star talent you can bring in, which by the way is the the big swing attitude that brought you Russell Westbrook in the first place, right? So like be buyer beware and be careful what you wish for when you go big game hunting like that. Is that like the the, the best course of action with if you can uh, instead like look to offload that money and then be able to you know retool with multiple you know spend that money on multiple pieces you know, sort of like what the the Sixers were able to do by, you know, knocking down Harden's number and then using the money to bring in PJ Tucker, Daniel House and make the deal for uh, uh, for D'Anthony Melton. So like, but they you know they don't have, they're up against the clock with LeBron. So it's a, it's a fascinating question. I think the soap opera component is just like, at this point, we have now, I think I've written it like five times. Everybody's written their version of like, can Russell Westbrook change? Will Russell Westbrook play differently? <laughs> And at this point, we got to see it to believe it, right? Like, I, I, we can't do this again and be like, well, at some point, he's going to start screening off the ball. No, he's not. He's like, Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook got uh, like ungodly amounts of money and an MVP by being Russell Westbrook. And so he's like, he's not going to, I'll, I will believe he will play differently when I see it. And if he does not play differently, then I don't think the results are going to be dramatically different. And it, of course, it'll be a soap opera because it's the Lakers. There you go. Pencil Town, indeed. Daniel, what is up? What's up? How you doing? Good. I just wanted to know, your guys, what do you guys think of the Suns this season? Thank you, Daniel. See, we can have some nice, thoughtful, young listeners. <laughs> um, the, Suns are some, the Suns are a team that I wanted to talk about because the Jay Crowder situation, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten a, a full enough um, a full enough dose of intel to bring a full story's worth of material, but I have called a little bit around on it. I am looking into the situation because 
Jay Crowder is in this fraternity of NBA players that I like to call the championship mercenaries, like the Peter Tuckers of the world, the Trevor Rizos before them, where they're just professional fifth men in the starting lineup. That is what they do, and they do it well. And there's, I mean, I've said it a lot on this show, a lot of NBA transactions end up being influenced by a contract expiration um, or some type of change in role. And it seems like that is the intersection of, I mean, both of those events are happening with, with Crowder and Phoenix. And let alone all the Robert Sarver, you know, stuff that hit the fan and Chris Paul being a year older and the DeAndre Ayton fiasco that happened. The Jay Crowder thing kind of hanging over the situation is, to me, pretty peculiar with a team that's got title odds because, like, someone put this to me, the way someone put this to me the other day, He's at this point, like, he's just not going to play for the team. And that's a loss. Like, like I, I understand wanting him to be healthy or what have you. But, like, if you're holding out Jay Crowder because he's, I mean, we don't know how long this is going to go. It could, it could be remedied very quickly. But just for now, that's a missing piece of a team that needs that, that type of piece an additional starter or a six man with Cam uh, Johnson moving into the starting lineup. There's just, and, it, and it's one small, um, it's one small, uh, I don't know, domino of a lot of dominoes in Phoenix that seem to be kind of converging on each other all at once at, at the wrong time. And this, to me, looking at the pieces, Dan, and looking at it from like a narrative standpoint, which as we've talked about, you are so excellent at deducing, like kind of feels like we're at, we are at the beginning of the end of a, like a window closing. Then again, I said that about Boston with, Tatum and Brown in December, and then they were the 11th seed in January and won an unprecedented run and made the finals. So who's to say? But we yeah, I, mean, I think that, the, yeah. the 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 thing is though, like there were things happened in Boston in terms of like tactical shifts and certain players taking big jumps in their ability, like Udoka figuring out here's how I use Robert Williams, and then Robert Williams being like, I'm going to be a defensive player of the year caliber player in this new scheme and like that kind of unlocked things and we could move forward from there um and that sort of it was like all of the pieces aligning what you're talking about here is i can totally i can get right with the idea of we're starting cam johnson we believe there's more he can give us more he's going to be coming up for an extension soon we want to make sure what we've got before as we you know get ready to commit to him for the long term i totally understand that and like why you would want to put him in more advantageous positions with the starters. You know, if you believe he can give you some more shot creation than Jay Crowder can, all that kind of stuff. Totally get it. But you have to replace those Jay Crowder minutes. And maybe they are their optimistic glass half full answer is like, we're getting Dario Saric back. We've got Tori Craig in the, in, in the building now. Maybe Josh Okogie can play some of those minutes. Maybe we give a little bit more of a role. Uh, we play smaller and, you know, we use Landry Shamit more. You know, maybe there are uh, uh, you know, other ways that you can sort of bridge those wing minutes and you think that you can uh, stitch together a reasonable approximation of what Crowder provided um, with uh, so that you're not like just losing a major rotation piece from a team like a, what's been a, a huge team. But that's I think that's an optimistic view. I think that's a difficult thing to. that on the fly um the other thing that makes it tough too though is like 
Crowder's got a great, a really good contract. He's, you know, I think a little under 10.2 million on an expiring deal. But all those teams, like you said, the, the, those the championship level or championship hopeful kind of teams that would love to bring in that kind of championship mercenary, a lot of them are like right up against the tax or over the, or right up against the cap, over the cap into the tax. And it's difficult for them to make, to, to uh, bring in that kind of player in a deal that's like not, Phoenix doesn't want to get like two second round picks and whatever in the future. They want, they need to be good now. That's the whole point is to be good now. And so where is the match? I think you're right to say like, it may, uh, maybe it might take a little while to find that. Um, and then in the interim, the vibes in Phoenix are already pretty rancid. And if you have, if you're like reducing your, your starting or you're ch- shuffling your starting lineup, you're reducing your rotation and you're, you get off to a rocky start, things are only going to get worse. Rancid is a pretty nice adjective, man. Okay, we're going to bring Daniel back because he came back. Do you have one more Phoenix question, Daniel? That's not that's not true. I feel like I'm not a trusting person. And I remember <laughs> I remember uh, I got lunch with Sal Palantonio when I was in high school. Man, this guy's laughing too. I'm already what do you guys think of lunch? Get out of here, Trey. I'm sorry. He, I, I'm sorry. I can't deal with it. Um, <laughs> I will say... I got lunch with Sal Palantonio when I was a senior in high school, asking for advice. And one thing he told me was, "Sir, he told me many things. One thing he said that, that stuck with me, that he told me I should make it stick with me, was if your mother says she loves you, check the facts. Meaning that in a in a reporter's mindset, yes, right. no, matter, no, matter, no matter how much you trust the person telling you the information, you got to double and triple check it. Because um, they're probably got a good reason to lie to you. So... I'm not a trusting person with certain respects, but here, let, generally, largely, the people who have called in have not been the Twitter trolls hiding behind a computer screen. They've been nice, kind folks like Alejandro, who had just want to pick our brain and, and, and enjoy the combo. So what's up, Alejandro? Hi, guys. Hope you're having a good Friday other than those uh, middle school trollers. <laughs> I, honestly... I, I never expected this to occur on the show. It's been such a good hey, I've been doing, doing it with the call on app since like March. It's been a it's been a lovely time. And this is the it's it's all because of Dan Devine. You you bring on a dad and the kids wanna <laughs> feel like they can run loose. I don't know what it is. I was gonna say I think I think I think we can pinpoint what the problem here is, and it's it's the introduction of me. So yeah, it's the only variable that changed. Yeah, um, so we saw uh, today the uh, the Celtics signed Blake Griffin. I was just wondering if that was something that you had been hearing about or if that was just came out of nowhere, and how, at all, if at all, do you think it will affect the team? Yeah, I definitely heard Boston explored stuff there with him. Um, I mean, I, remember, I saw on Twitter today some people were making fun of me for saying on Stein's show, before for agency that he was LA bound. And I think that was definitely, I mean, I heard it from Brooklyn people. I heard from other people that he at least wanted to go to Los Angeles. Um, but I know in terms of like adding context, um, <laughs> uh, Blake, from my understanding, um, like he wants a role. I think a lot of those big guys like Lamarcus Aldridge, um, and DeAndre Jordan before them in Brooklyn, like, and you see DeAndre going to Denver in a situation that he's apparently supposed to have some type of specific uh, role there. Like, these guys at the end of the day want to have something to hang their head on. They want to go into the arena knowing this is what I could do tonight, and they want to play. 
And with Robert Williams not being healthy right now, I think there's plenty of opportunity for Blake to get some run in, in the early stretch of the season and in a winning situation. So, I mean, Dan, what, what is your what, – how, how, how much mileage do you think uh, the, the former slam dunk champion has on his, uh, his, his odometer left? I mean, I would caution against expecting too, too much here. I mean, there's a – obviously, you know, there was a whole a lot of issues in Brooklyn last year. But, you know, the guy was – played played in 56 games, averaged 17 minutes a night, and really wasn't – like, wasn't hitting the, the threes anymore, wasn't hitting the pick-and-pop jumpers, and became somebody that, you know, teams would try to hunt offensively. So I think if you're looking at him – I mean, they're the Celtics are probably not looking for him for a big role here, but they're – I mean, they're just they're looking to sop up some minutes while they, uh, you know, reshuffle the deck in the front court and try to figure out how long they're going to be without Robert Williams and what what the you know so they don't overtax Al Horford too early in the season. I'd expect you know the 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 biggest beneficiary in terms of minutes and opportunities probably going to be you know Grant Will oh yeah Grant Williams and you know who's already going to going to play a significant role but now probably you know even more so and then Blake is you know somebody you're you're going to look to for spot minutes at the four and the five to you know act as like a dribble handoff hub and a pick and pop option like stuff he can do if he's making threes again he has a lot more utility than he had last year in brooklyn as we saw you know during that that first stretch where he went from detroit to brooklyn and played a pretty significant role for them in their uh, their playoff run but when the jumper kind of failed then then the rest of the game kind of collapsed inward with it so still a smart passer still a guy that you know is able to to you know read defenses and act as like sort of a, a hinge point for a possession but I wouldn't expect big, big things from him. But if you're if you're just looking for something to fill the gap in the aftermath of the Robert Williams news, like there there are worse places to turn for sure. Yeah, and Blake's a pretty consummate pro from my experience with him. Um, for sure. Story at SI, whatever year he became an All Star with the Pistons, went to his hotel room, um, hung out with him and like his uh a trainer of sorts uh who this guy trevor harrison who's like stretching him out and working on like pliability of like his toes and his ankles and everything just to keep the the complicated human body and the aging complicated athletic human body working in tip-top shape um he i mean the guy definitely cares and wants to put himself in a position to be on the court and contributing so if there's an opportunity to go do it in boston i think he's gonna be chomping at the bit after I mean, a, a pretty um, inconsistent role with the Nets last year. So um, we're almost at the, at the end of our, our program here. I got one question, non-MBA, that I want to ask Dan, and I'm going to flip it like I always do and see if Dan wants to ask me something. In 30 seconds – not 30 seconds. I, I'm going to give you as long as you want. A, Dan, make the pitch to me on having a kid – and B, and B, what are your thoughts on guiding your children towards their sports fandom, being that you told me the other day that you still kind of sort of are a Knicks fan, despite the torturousness of doing it to yourself. How do you talk about that lesson with your children? Yeah, all right. So the pitch for having a children, I, for having children, I am not, uh, I would never try to talk somebody into it. If you want to do it, I would say it's great, but I'm not going to ever try to talk somebody into it because Smart, once you make right? that choice, man, once you make that choice, man, it is, 
uh, everything in your life reorients around that. And uh, like that's in, in ways big, small and things you couldn't even have possibly fathomed before. So I would not pitch it. I would say it's the best thing in my life and uh, <laughs> which maybe is more of a commentary on the sad state of affairs of the rest of my life. But um, it's uh, it's it is uh, it, it becomes ground, sort of ground zero for everything else around it. As far as sports fandom, I am I'm I'm intro I'm introducing just like the idea of in the shouts out to my friends from Free Darko from back in the day liberated fandom. I don't necessarily feel like they've got to be into the Knicks. I just want them to to, to I want to introduce to them the sport. Like all right, we'll sit and you can watch this. They have general senses. I have two daughters, an eight year old and a five year old. They have a general sense of like here's who's on which teams uh, and like when we watch, are we looking for that guy? Are we looking for that guy? And over time, we'll see if they show an interest toward the, the, the Knicks. We live in Brooklyn. They have not shown any interest toward the Nets so far, which makes them like most of the rest of Brooklyn, I think. And, <laughs> uh, and so we'll see. We'll see if over time that shifts. But for now, the biggest thing is just like, hey, do you like the idea of learning how to dribble? Do you like the idea of running around and playing? And like, once we get that, then we can go with everything else. I am not absolutely not going to, you know, conscript them to a lifetime of Knicks fandom uh, as my father did for me. So I think it, it we'll let them choose and then we'll go from there. There you go. Okay. It's only fair. I asked you a bunch of questions for 40 minutes. We had some, some callers ask us some questions. Do you have a question for me? You don't have to, but I feel like it's only right. Well, I'll ask you, uh, I'll ask you two. One is, do you regret having me on now that you've been trolled mercilessly as a result of my appearance? <laughs> Um, I feel like they're definitely not mutually, I think, feel like they're definitely not mutually exclusive. I feel like that happened because of you, but I don't regret it. No. <laughs> That's, I'll take that. And then the second yeah. one is, um, is they, I know like the, uh, in terms of, of the, the recent goings on, there's not a whole lot of like big movements happening now, but. Uh, there's also a lot of, uh, you know, guys that are sort of extension eligible coming up, whether that's guys yeah. that are, you know, in the, the sort of rookie draft class or guys who, you know, veterans who, who uh, are, you know, now eligible to extend on their current deals. I want to ask you for somebody that you think might get done in the near future before, you know, before the season or, you know, and then somebody where you think it's going to be a contentious situation. Oh, well, I will, I will go with the contentious situation first. Um, being that, listen, I haven't talked to anybody about this particular dynamic in a while, but the last I wrote about it, the last I heard about it, um, DeAndre Hunter and the Hawks were pretty far apart and like farther apart than any extension talk. I mean, I, again, I could be wrong, but that is what my understanding was as of July 31st. And I've typically been told from people that those conversations, I mean, I talked to a couple agents this week who were talking, oh, yeah, we're having these kinds of talks. We're still getting close or whatever. Um, I don't know. That's to say, like, I don't know how much runway there could have really even been to get closer. Um, so I don't know how contentious it is because I think the Hawks want him there. I think he wants to be there. But, like, this is, this is like, you know, someone's first big payday. It's important. And it kind sure. of establishes where you are in the pecking order of contract world. Um because look at like what happened with Dejounte Murray, where and Jalen Brunson, where the contracts were so low relative to what their next payday was going to be that it didn't make sense to extend them at the time, and both of those players ended up leaving their present team for different reasons, but because of not being paid at market value on the contract before. Um, 
So that's just an interesting one to keep an eye on. In terms of, again, I haven't touched on this one too much either, but the Tyler Hero Miami thing, I feel like that gets done just because all along when I've asked people about that, especially dating back to when he was in theory a big piece to head to hand, uh, to send out for Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell, um, seems like Miami, the general sense is that the Heat take care of their guys, right? They did it with Duncan Robinson, mm-hmm. did it with Bam. Um, I mean, I think they're going to probably do it with uh, Gabe Vincent and uh, Max Strews when the time comes around. I'm not saying they're going to give them massive, massive paydays, but they'll reward them, right? I think it's part of their sales pitch to signing undrafted guys and non-guaranteed guys, whether you, know, you go there versus another situation because if the salary is a minimum deal and everything's virtually the same, like you're, you're kind of betting on, on the opportunity that presents itself. I think part of their... Um, part of the, the allure and the mystery of the Heat's success rate at turning those back of the bench, back of the roster guys into players is uh, that pot of gold waiting at the end of the rainbow. So I think that sure. I mean, my, my sense is that that's likely to, uh, to happen. Good news if you're a Heat fan because, you know, everybody, I mean, they all know just how important Hero was as an initiator for them. And, you know, they need a big year out of him to be able to get back up to the top of the East and which looks like an even deeper and tougher road for them. But uh, but that, that, that is the last question I've got for you, Jake. So there thank you, go, you very man. much for bringing me on. Thank you for popping on here, man. Anything you want to plug or whatever before you go, the, the state is yours. Uh, I will just say, uh, keep an eye on Yahoo Sports NBA. I start my I, my actual first day is Monday. I don't know if I'm writing on Monday, but it'll be a few things a week uh, and lots of writing and maybe lots of other stuff too. So um, I'm excited to get yeah, going. It's like for the so, you know, some people might know this, some people might not. I used to work. I was at Yahoo for a for a long time. I was recently at the Ringer. I just rejoined Yahoo. I'm really excited for the team that we're putting together and you know what we're going to be able to do with it, with Jake included. So. Uh, you can find me there soon. You can find me on Twitter making little jokes and talking about dumb shit at your man divine and uh, <laughs> keep an eye on all those, those spaces throughout the season, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on, man. Thank you to everyone who listened and the callers who did not antagonize me. Have a good weekend, everybody. <laughs> Stay safe with the hurricane and what have you and whatever other challenges are, are, are awaiting in your path. I hope you, Go around them with no little kids uh, playing inappropriate clips on your live show in front of the world. Thank you, guys. Take care. <laughs>